Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Frank McIndoo. Regular listeners to the podcast will recognize Frank from previous episodes. Frank manages a portfolio of direct Australian equities that he calls KEEP, the Coder Enduring Equities Portfolio. I kicked off this podcast congratulating Frank. The last year, he's had a lot of success. Not only has his beloved Demons football team won the premiership after many years in the wilderness, his portfolio has performed exceptionally well, but not only in the short term. It was up 37% for the last year. And more importantly, over the last five years, it's been up 17.6%. That's against an ASX 300 of 10.9%. I talked to Frank about what's concerning him in the markets at the moment, how he's thinking about inflation, how the portfolio has changed since the pandemic, and how he's thinking about deploying money at the moment. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. I always enjoy speaking with Frank. Very, very wise words is what I tend to find. Please remember, this podcast isn't designed, nor is it specific advice. Listeners are encouraged to both listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast, as well as seeking their own financial advice before making any investments. Please do remember to keep your feedback coming. You can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Thank you very much and enjoy the podcast. Frank McIndoo, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be back. Well, Frank, I've got to start off with congratulations. Um, you know, first of all, your, your demons who you support have won a premiership. And second of all, uh, the performance of your keep or coder enduring equities portfolio of, of direct equities is up, uh, I think, something like 37% for the last year wow. versus the market of 28. But more impressively, over five years, it's up 17.6% versus the market up about 10.9. So congratulations on the performance of both the Demons and your investment portfolio. Well, fortunately, it hasn't been quite as long a wait for some performance out of the Keep portfolio as the Demons. Although I do think um, Melbourne supporters do have a bit of a natural advantage in investing because they have to take a long-term view. (laughs) And that's a rarity in the market. You know, most investors, most institutional investors, just as a matter of career risk, they can't underperform for more than one or two quarters or they lose the money. Um, And even amongst individuals who are very strong-minded normally, uh, most people find it pretty hard if things have been going badly for a couple of quarters to stick with something even though the thesis isn't broken. So... Uh, it can be difficult. Who would ever thought that being a demon supporter would be a great advantage? But there you go. Talking of uh, markets and outlook at the moment, um, what's got you concerned? What's worrying you from what you're seeing? What sort of things are, are concerning you that you're reading more about and wanting to understand further? Well, I think the extremely good performance uh, of the equities markets, you know, it is a mean reverting sort of machine and it's not as if the annual growth rate long-term growth rate of earnings has radically improved so 
you know, a period of strong outperformance, certainly by a market on an economy a wide basis, is likely to mean revert back down again at some point. So um, it's a question of uh, constantly looking at the components of the portfolio and trying not to be in things that are going to mean revert downwards. And in terms of possible inflation coming into the system, we're seeing a, a bit of chatter and talk about um, you know, supply shortages globally in supply chains, um, you know, this very, very cheap money that we've seen lead to almost every asset class inflating, um, you know, and, and the signs and debate about whether inflation is long-term or for the short-term. Um, how are you thinking about those sort of risks? Well, I think, uh, you know, the first thing to say is, um, I think even the best economists have only a sort of 55% track record of being right. I mean, the nature of macroeconomic forecasts is that it's at least as difficult, perhaps more difficult than long range weather forecasting. I mean, you're to talking about the same sorts of highly complex non-linear systems. So my confidence around a macro forecast is going to be amongst my uh, least strongly held convictions that I'm going to have. Uh, so that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is that uh, in choosing businesses to invest in, I'm always looking for businesses which have a very strong market position such that if there were inflation, they'd be able to pass that on to their customers. So there is a built-in protection against inflation in that sense. Uh, although having said that, if we got a sudden spike in inflation and a sudden spike in bond rates as a result, uh, it's not gonna be uh, good for equities unless that bond rate spike is at least compensated for by a higher expectation of economic growth. So, so the worst thing is stagflation. So the worst thing potentially is higher inflation, but pretty lousy growth. So that would that's the biggest fear, uh, and that's whereas if it's if it's higher bond rates resulting from higher growth rate, well then you know perhaps you you're winning on the swings at least as much as you're losing on the roundabouts. Correct, and those who hold assets tend to benefit from those periods. What, what sort of companies would you think about um, that are in the portfolio that you think have the sort of market power or strength to be able to pass those sort of costs straight on? Well, really all of them. I mean, if I don't think that they've got a strong enough market position to pass inflation on, I mean, they're probably they're not going to be in the portfolio. That's pretty clear so what what is how has the portfolio changed uh to say pre pre-pandemic to post-pandemic what sort of companies uh are in now that weren't and and what sort of companies are out of the portfolio um well as always there's almost no change to be honest 
Um, and in fact, I'll just contradict what I just said before. The only changes in the last, key changes in the last couple of years is I've added a bit of resources, high quality resources, which tend to be, they're more likely to be price takers, albeit they tend to do well in inflationary times. So it's a little bit of a hedge, if you like, against a rising global inflation. Although the other main, the other reason uh, for being in there too is that I think there's been generally underinvestment in resources globally in the last 10 years. And you can see that in the, our major mining companies like BHP and Rio have simply been much more disciplined in their capital allocation in the last you know, five to 10 years than they were in the previous decade. And I think that's generally reflected in mining companies around the world. So the you know, mines do run out. And if nobody's investing in them much, well then you know, you're gonna get price increases until such time as people do start reinvesting. But there's, there tends to be a five year period where you know, the prices go up because you know, it takes quite a while to actually build significant new mines. Um, and in fact, it doesn't seem to be getting any easier. Um, places like Argentina are introducing new taxes on copper and countries uh, in Africa that people thought might be providing you know, huge new provinces they're not looking that stable. So sources of supply aren't looking that, that good uh, just at the moment. Well, I think there's a huge iron ore deposit that might sit in, is it the Democratic Congo these days? I'm not sure of the name. They seem to change between Zaire and others. And, and, and I think the logistics to get that out to coast to start shipping, you know, people have been talking about 2026 it possibly could come online but I, I think they're the type of risks you're, you're talking about and uncertainties yeah exactly so that one change has been adding a bit of uh, resources carefully um, and as always on the basis that I think there's a good five years uh, return in them I don't put anything into the portfolio that I don't expect at the time of investing to have it in there at least five years. Prefer longer, but sort of five years is a minimum period. Um, we sold out of a stock that would have been in the portfolio pretty much since the beginning, which was Sydney Airport, uh, and unfortunately sold out too early, but that was taking the view that um, at the price that it was then trading at, allowing for dilution from an equity uh, uh, issue that they made during COVID. I just think the it's going to be a long, slow recovery for business travel, which uh, is a big part of Sydney Airport. Um, you know, it was five years after the GFC uh, before business travel got back to what it was before. And uh, with the advent of Zoom and all this sort of stuff, I think it could well be could well be longer. I mean, there'll still obviously be plenty of business travel, 
it obviously makes a lot of sense. But there'll be a lot of things where people will just say, well, you know, they might have flown from Sydney to Melbourne for a board meeting and they'll say, well, I'm only going to do that once every three months. I'm not going to do it every month, say. Yes. So I, I think there will be, it'll be a longer recovery for business travel. Um, so that took uh, Sydney Airport out. We had plenty of other good exposures to similar or better exposures to similar themes. So um, there's that. And we've probably added a couple at the small end, uh, more in sort of software of various descriptions. Um, I certainly think, um, you know, COVID has accelerated a lot of trends towards digitization. Uh, and, you know, very difficult to work out exactly what's going to happen, but it certainly accelerated some existing trends um, and certainly made life in many cases harder for the incumbents and created opportunities for, for new companies. So we've taken the opportunity where we can just to add a couple of, a couple of new little disruptors but there actually haven't been that many changes to the portfolio. We're only talking half a dozen, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it's still pretty, pretty low turnover. And Frank, we've spoken uh, in the past about your view on cryptocurrency and a lot of people are getting very excited and there almost seems to be a, a classic fear of missing out where people are piling in buying assets just on the basis that they'll be able to sell them to someone else for a greater price, you know, regardless of what their view of the future cash flow is. I do, however, recall that you do like the, the commercial aspects and the prospects for uh, blockchain technology. And I, and I think you've been invested into Webjet, which I believe has a very good booking system based and, and utilizing uh, blockchain. I, I'm interested, computer share is something that's been in the portfolio for a long time. And, and I also note that you don't hold any banks in the portfolio, which for someone running an Australian equities portfolio, I think would be a huge rarity. And I think, you know, as you go before about career risk, um, you know, I know in speaking to other equities, uh, people running Australian equities and you'll say, oh, what do you think of XYZ Bank? And they'll say, oh, we really, really don't like it. And I say, okay, so you don't have any of it. And they go, oh, no, 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 we're halfway the index. <laughs> and they're running, you know, $10 billion, $20 billion. And you work out the math on that. And they, they own a hell of a lot of it. But the, their rationale is relative to the index. Um, how do you think about blockchain and something like computer share and or other companies? Well, look, I mean, it's just, uh, as I was saying before, we're looking for companies that um, are potentially going to disrupt things. And in fact, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to look at a new float, see, see what new things are coming out there. And that's partly because every so often you find a really good company um, from a float. Um, but almost as often, you'll say, well, I'm not sure that these guys are going to be successful, 
but somebody like them will, and that's going to destroy this other business. So I think you've got to be aware of disruptors just as much for defensive purposes as for attack purposes, if you like. Um, I mean, you know, computer share, uh, clearly there's, there's aspects of the registry system uh, where, uh, and you know, the ASX is introducing uh, or attempting to introduce blockchain. I mean, ComputerShare is more than aware of all that. And I think there's a lot of other stuff that they do, which doesn't lend itself so well to the blockchain, but it's certainly something you've always got to keep an open mind about for sure. Um, uh, and, you know, if in doubt, uh, if you don't think you understand it, well, you steer clear of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's the... And there's, so there's a lot that I don't understand, so there's an awful lot that I steer clear of. The, the, the very famous large basket of Frank McIndoo's uh, Too Hard Basket. Yeah. No, it only increases every year. <laughs> um, has there been anything of recent times where you've changed your mind on it? Um, or, where, or where the evidence has come into the market or business take up or otherwise where you've gone, okay, well, I can see that now. It's changed. Well, I mean, look, it's been a, a strange year because uh, a strange and unusually difficult year in the sense that COVID hits, everything comes to a, a screaming halt and then to everybody's surprise or to, certainly to my surprise, it rebounds, you know, just as fast. Mm -hmm. So I would say um, I'm still sorting out uh, in my own mind in a lot of cases as to which effects of COVID are permanent and which, which are temporary. I mean, you know, the, the most obvious one that affects all of us is with knowledge workers like us, um, are we going, is it going to be the dominant model that we work from home? Is the dominant model going to be some sort of hybrid, which is what I would suspect? Um, but, you know, you uh, read of US companies who say, uh, well, we're going to have a huge hiring advantage if we can just say to people, you can work from home. Um, so I think you've got to keep an open mind and, you know, the answer to that question, uh, we won't know for five years, and even then, it'll probably still be rapidly changing. Um, so, I think uh, I would rather than saying I've changed my mind, I'd probably say I've allowed for even more uncertainty than usual, and I'm watchful, you know, of each company's business to see how things are going to pan out. Where you have clients who are kicking off a relationship where money is coming out of cash and they're looking to deploy now in the markets, how are you thinking about that? Are you quite happy to put money in from cash at these sort of valuations or are you a little bit, um, you know, we might drip this in just because things are a little frothy? Well, I'll look... Um... It, it's certainly not a market where 
you'd say it's a screaming bargain, let's throw everything out. So it's, it's clearly not in that category. Um, just on its own historic metrics, you'd say it's a bit expensive. Um, but then on historic metrics, you'd say, well, the long bond should yield you about inflation plus three, say. So the long bond should be at 5%. Um, and you would expect your equities to produce a yield since they also give you some capital growth. You'd expect the equities to be maybe yielding 4%. Well, the equities are yielding about 4%, the long bonds about one and a half. So on that basis, you'd say um, what a bargain equities are. And then for many of our clients, um, their ambitions in residential property extend beyond their own home. Nothing that they you know, feel more comfortable doing than buying a residential property. And you look at residential property and then you look back at equities and say, well, equities are pretty cheap. So um, I think you know, probably the biggest question is what, what do people think is going to happen to bond rates? And if you think, you know, the Reserve Bank seems to think that interest rates are going to be low for the next few years at least, if you think that bond rates are going to stay around current levels or even, you know, what if they went up 1% to 2.5%, on that basis, quality equities are probably, you know, a more attractive, more attractive proposition. But, you know, these... People, you know, markets have a way of uh, something that you thought was a certainty one year, you know, a year later, it doesn't look quite such a certainty. So I think you've got to be, um, I think, you know, the, the, I, the way I put it, and this is certainly reflected in the portfolio, is there is much greater uncertainty than, than usual, and that should be reflected in greater diversification of your portfolio. So... Historically, in the keep portfolio, I used to have about 20 stocks. And in fact, I used to think if I got much above 20, it was showing a lack of decisiveness. You know, get off the fence. Which is it? You know, surely uh, number 21 and 22 can be sold and we'll put it into the higher conviction ones. But now it's, it's drifted out um, closer to 30. So it's high 20s, number of stocks now. And um, I rationalise that as being the greater uncertainty. It's a degree of rationalisation, but it's also probably, uh, I'm, there are more uh, disruptive stocks in there, small position in disruptive stocks. Uh, so, and you, I think that, that also, that, that all ties in and, and make sense uh, because you can have um, some of these disruptive stocks, uh, you know, like Afterpay, which was in the portfolio for a number of years. You know, it was by far the fastest stock ever into the top 20. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's it's going to turn out to be an anomaly in that sense. So you think it, so, so what you're telling our listeners is you think you can get another one? Well, I think you have to be in the market for one. <laughs> you never win without a ticket, right? 
So, yeah. Frank, uh, before we finish up, I, I'm intrigued. Is there anything that you can think of where you believe you're right at the moment and you suspect the market would think you're not right or others around you would have a differing view? Well, uh, most of the market continues to put a lot of money into major banks. So mm -hmm. um, uh, that I think I'm, uh, I'm different on and I'm probably, the market's probably uh, equally divided on inflation. So half the market is right and I'm wrong or vice versa. I'm not, not quite sure which. Um, I'm probably a bit more positive on Australia versus the rest of the world than most other people. Uh, I, you know, most other people, uh, I think it's a bit of a cultural cringe. They'd say, oh, we don't have any companies as good as, you know, the leading US companies. And, and they may not be as big, but um, I think we've got a lot of very high quality companies that are uh, managing extremely well. So I'm probably a bit more positive. I mean, the mandate is Australian equity, so perhaps uh, perhaps that wouldn't, goes... Territory. Wouldn't be talking your own book, would you? No, that's right. That's right. Well, excellent. Uh, Frank, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm happy to leave you with the last say. If there's any other point you think that would be pertinent for our listeners and people who are keen followers of the Keep ASX portfolio, which of course, you know, you've steered uh, in, in such great shape. If there's anything you want to leave our listeners with, I'll let you do that now. Well, the only thing I would say is uh, the Keep portfolio reflects the very great uncertainty in the world these days, but so should the rest of the portfolio. So when money, people put money into Keep, it's pretty much fully invested in Australian equities, but that doesn't relieve them the, of the decision and their advisors, what's the appropriate amount to put in as Australian equities versus private debt or other sort of non-correlated assets. So I think uh, diversification remains, I mean, it's always been important, but I think it's even more important now uh, than it has been historically. Great way to finish. Thanks, Frank. Hope to see you in the office sooner rather than later. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.